Hi, I'm Lori Denning, and welcome to my podcast, The 20-Minute Scriptorian, where I explore the LDS scriptures and the path of the disciple of Christ. I'm a longtime gospel doctrine teacher, sometime institute and seminary teacher, and a current theology student. My friends and I are often discussing history, context, and theology, and thought that you might appreciate it too. I think of it as a bridge between academic and inspiration. However, these opinions are my own and not an official representation of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Thanks again for listening, and I hope this will be a blessing to you on the road to discipleship. Welcome back. I'm Lori, and this is the 20-Minute Scriptorian, and we are in Come Follow Me for the end of the year, and we're in the Epistle to Titus. So if you haven't had a chance to go back and listen to the All About, that's where we kind of go over context and overview, and we've also done First and Second Timothy in the last week or so. So this is kind of the last of the, what we call the pastoral epistles, and we are going to find out about a couple of things about Titus. So join me as we jump into what is this letter all about. All right, so Titus, who's Titus and what's going on? Well, remember the Apostle Paul is writing this letter back to his spiritual son, as he calls him, but Titus, one of his protégés and one-time mission companion, and it's instructions for how to lead the congregation that's in this Greek island of Crete. And so while Paul instructed both behavior and doctrine, perhaps the most striking teaching is the intrinsic relationship between the two. So I think there are a few areas that really jump out at me in this and, and see if you don't think the same thing. But the first one is faithfulness of God. Not the faithfulness to God, the faithfulness of God. Then second, the ability of Christ to change a person and let them in turn affect an entire community. And God's mercy saves us. So I think what really impacts me about Titus is changing the way I see God's ability to change me. So the first thing is this, uh, this idea of God being faithful. So he says right in the beginning of Titus, uh, he says, uh, Paul says, in the hope of eternal life, that God uh, who never lies, the God who never lies. And you're like, I don't, what? You know, of course I wouldn't think God would lie. But um, if you've never seen the Bible Project videos, it's an evangelical group, but they do a fantastic job on YouTube videos and all their stuff's free. And they do little cartoons and they kind of explain Titus. And they did a really good job explaining what's going on here. But in the Greek world, the chief Greek god uh, who was said to be born on Crete was Zeus. And, and so these Greek gods were known to be liars and they were fickle. They were treacherous. They were lecherous as well. They were just terrible, terrible examples of, of, uh, of, of anything, humanity or God. They were terrible examples. And so one day these gods could bless you and then they could curse you the next. And, and, and the people of Crete were really oddly proud of their patron God, which was Zeus. And, and they thought they had some kind of special relationship since he was said to be born on Crete. And they said that the one thing that people knew about those days and that day and age is that you could not rely upon those Greek gods, right? Their belief was that these people, these gods were very fickle. You never knew if they were going to bless you or curse you. And so here, Paul is making a distinction. The God that you believe in now is the one who never lies. I'd always passed over this verse and it never really made any impact. And I'd always kind of taken for granted that God is faithful and he keeps his covenants and his promises. Uh, but that that's striking, right? How awesome our father is that he he never lies to us but for the people of Crete this was just a huge distinction and just radically different from the way they thought 
Now, now they could trust. They could really trust in, in a Lord who would keep his promises. And they said, this is, in fact, is the, the force of this opening verse that now this is a God who does not lie. Bam! Just starts out with a punch. So uh, it, we're pointing out here that Paul has this authority as an apostle. He comes from a trustworthy God. And so he also goes back to kind of tie in these covenants and promises of that we see from uh, Abraham and that, that Christ is this vindication of ancient belief. So moving back in time, we get to show the faithfulness of God from ancient and Christ being this resolution of all these promises. This, this is just unlike anything that they would have known in that day and age. And, and honestly, if we think about it, it's, it's probably unlike any experience we have in our lives. I mean, is there anybody that's truly trustworthy? Is there every, any promise, any contract, any business negotiation, any person that is always going to be reliable in our lives? And as much as we may love and be devoted to some people, we're never going to be 100% reliable, even the people that are most important to us and try the most. Yet here is someone that is always just, always faithful, always true to their promise. So, um, so that's, that's kind of it. Uh, I, I think one of the points we always see is that life is kind of unfair. So whether it's a good person losing, losing their life and wicked people prosper, um, kind people being walked on by society or illness comes to a young child, we just see injustice every day in our lives. And it's always been challenging to see wicked people do well, like for me financially, when I see people that are kind of lame and just, I'd say wicked, and they just do really well financially. And you're like, come on, it's just unfair. That just makes me mad. And so how can this thief or this villain just get so wealthy? And why doesn't the good guy win or the good gal? People are trying so hard. And the people that try the hardest are the ones that get paid the least and the wicked prosper that's a tough one right but Paul's telling me something he's saying God is faithful it's whether it's in this life or the next it will all be set to right and God will make good on his promises when no one else will and best of all I'm included in this unfaithful behavior when I make sins and mistakes and I forget my godliness the Lord will stand by me uh second Timothy has a good quote on this it says um let me see Let's see, 2 Timothy 2, 13. Uh, if we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself, right? So even if we blow it, he doesn't, because he can't even, he can't be anything but awesome. So I think Paul is reminding us that this God that we worship will never abandon or leave us. He will always be faithful. He will always stand by his promises, his prophecies, his covenants. And that's powerful today, as well as in this time of being in Crete. In times of doubt or turbulence, he is there. So one of Paul's strongest teachings, which we'll just lace through this entire letter of Titus, is the effect the gospel of Jesus Christ has on the inner person. And then that reflects outward and their outward behavior and their outward lifestyle. Um, and I think we can all think of uh, people in our own lives. Have you ever known anybody who, once they kind of change their lives and, and really jump into the gospel, they become different? You can just see it in them, Right. So think of, uh, think of somebody in your life that maybe had really turned to God and, and when they really changed their life and did, did you see anything change? It might not have been overnight, but did you see something? Did they change? Did their outward appearance change? Did they act differently? 
I can think of a few people and and you think, yeah, it really changes who they are and it comes forth. One of the ways that he's, uh, Paul's going to advise Titus, because remember, Titus is the bishop of Crete, of this island, and there are probably a few churches around. It might even be what we'd call a stake today, but there are a number of, of small branches or house churches. And, and uh, when the Spirit makes this change in us, uh, he says that this is important for being an elder, right, being one of the leaders, that they should be blameless. Uh, I love, too, it says their children are believers, they shouldn't be, uh, which is funny. It just says, you know, hey, if they can raise a good family, they should be able to be good examples. Um, I don't read too much into that, but I do think he's trying to say, hey, if you can show this outward change, then you know you've really changed. Uh, but not be quick-tempered, addicted to wine or violent. They must be hospitable and self-controlled. We could probably interchange a few words here and there, right? But they shouldn't, they should be someone that's essentially good. They should be someone good with young adults. Um, they're someone who can receive counsel. They can get help with their struggles and, and just be a good counselor. Um, my dad was a bishop when I was in high school and he was just the best with people. He had grown up in a turbulent life and he'd pretty much walked every path and tough family and, and just a tough life growing up and, and really had to work hard. And he was the best bishop, I think. And he still is just great at advice because he's been there. He's seen it. And he can just give really practical advice. He, he's kind. He's really compassionate. He's really open about his life. And so he can relate to us and give good advice. He's just a great bishop. And I think he's a good exemplar of what Titus is being uh, described at. But I think uh, that's what Paul is telling him is that, that these elders, these, these bishops and people can be good examples. And that this will shine forth. The other lesson that I alluded to that I really like in Titus is that God's mercy is what saves, right? We don't save ourselves and we don't like figure it out one day, but, but at one point or the other, we've all had some scriptural debate about faith and works. And on one side, it's kind of like faith and grace alone and we'll just be saved. And we kind of pound our Bibles and we quote scriptures and we're kind of snooty in our belief, right? On this one side. And then they're on the other side, equally snooty and pound their Bibles and say, faith without works is dead. Um, and they are kind of snooty and they're on the other side. Everyone's on the right. And even I've been asked, you know, is it faith or works? In fact, I was at a business meeting in Atlanta and I was working with uh, the manager that ran the facility out there and he knew we were all members of the church out here in Salt Lake and he had some interesting questions. When I worked with him day after day for a couple of weeks and he finally said, Lori, I don't, the hard thing I find about you guys as Latter-day Saints is that you think you can like earn your way into heaven and that you, you're somehow helping Christ. I would just never want to feel like I was helping him or something, or I could do something on his own. And I, I've thought about that a lot. I think that that equation is, is fundamentally wrong. I don't think it's, I think we are saved by mercy and we are asked to do good works. I don't think our good works save us at all. But I think Titus has a great scripture and answers that. Titus 3, 5 through 8, and it says, He saved us not because of any works of righteousness that we had done, but according to his mercy through water of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. The Spirit he poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Thus saying is sure. Here we learn it's nothing that we do that saves us, right? It's the entire previous three chapters are focused on these behaviors that followers of Christ have. And, and so I think he's trying to say that I don't save myself. I've sinned. I can't undo any of that without Christ's mercy and renewal. 
And, and that change is brought on by baptism and the Holy Spirit will change who I am so that my behavior, my heart is changed. My behaviors, my actions, and daily walk are evidence of this inner change. So it isn't works that save me. It's works that show that I've changed. I act like Jesus acted. I help the marginalized. I, I give myself as a sacrifice to lift the poor. So the argument I've had is not the point at all, right? It isn't one or the other. It's God's grace is evidenced in me. Paul calls this evidence godliness. And it's a good litmus test, right? Does she, how my true inner conversion's doing? Like, Lori, how am, I, how am I doing? And I'm like, I don't know. Am I, am I changed inside? Am I showing forth these works? Do I want to help? Uh, and I hope that maybe he will take away the stony heart and give us a heart of flesh. I love that in Ezekiel, right? Ezekiel's praying 36 that he will um, put in a new heart and a new spirit and he will take away my stony part, heart, right? He changes me from the inside. And we obviously know Alma 5, right? Have you uh, uh, seen the image of God in your countenance, right? Or can you sing the song of redeeming love? And can you sing it again now? I, those are paraphrases. They're terrible paraphrases, but I love that change inside. So the book of Titus is short, but this, this powerful concept is that taught that this faithfulness of God, the ability for Christ to change a person and let them in and tr- to infect an entire community and that God's mercy really saves us. Uh, just a powerful book, and I, I am grateful for Titus to let us listen in on his gospel preaching from an apostle of how to be a better bishop and how we can be better disciples of Christ and reflect that mercy of Christ back into our families. So I know this one is brief. That's all we're going to do in Titus. So I just have a couple challenges for you this time since you got a little extra time. Go back and read Timothy, Timothy and Titus. See if you can't find the doctrine and then the practical and see what you can do with it. These are great epistles and ones that I am grateful we had a chance to read. So go back, reread them, and see what you can learn about the doctrine and practice of the gospel of Jesus Christ.